All right, so just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing to, we know it's Colossians, but the church in Colossae, this letter, it was addressed to them. But remember that this letter was intended to be circulated. It was to go to the different churches in that region. Um, Laodicea was one of the churches. And remember, Paul was writing from prison. Prison, where was he at? Prison in, prison in Rome, right? He's in chains. And all of a sudden, this dude comes, Epaphras, to visit him. And Epaphras was probably the pastor, the senior pastor at Colossae, or one of the pastors. And he makes this 900-mile journey all the way to see Paul. And he tells Paul about the amazing work that God is doing in the church. Just like in our church, God's doing an amazing work. It's, man, I love boasting about what God's doing in our church. And so he shares with Paul, and, and Paul's like super stoked about what's going on there. And then Epaphras kind of pivots and says, listen, there is some issues, though, that are going on within the church. And remember, there was false teaching, winds of doctrine that had begun to blow into the church, that had begun to not only blow into the church, but it's a problem when winds of doctrine, false teachings begin to blow in the church, and then they begin to settle down. Kind of like when you get sick, the germs are flying around and they attach to you. That's what false teaching does. Like a little bit of leaven does what? It leavens the, the whole lump. A little bit of false teaching, a little bit of sin, a little bit of hypocrisy, whatever it is, it begins to grow and grow. And so Paul, rather than talk about explicitly what the false teachings are, he began to remind the church, he began to remind us about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's so crucial to be reminded, isn't it, of who Jesus is? And not only what he's done for us, but what he's doing right now, currently, and all that he's yet to do as well. And so great reminders from Paul. And so we're going to pick up this morning. He's still encouraging and warning the church as well. Where do we leave off this service? Do you guys remember? Y'all remember? 15, 16, 17. That's okay. I'm going to go back to verse 8. <laughs> it kind of sets the flow of where we're at. Here's what God's Word says, what Paul writes. Beware, lest anyone cheat you. Hey, look out so no one rips you off. Through what? Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, that is in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And by the way, that is one of the greatest deity verses of Jesus Christ right there. If someone ever says to you, Jesus is not God, say, time out, wait a minute, come to Colossians 2, right here, verse 9. It explicitly says that Jesus is God there. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in Jesus. And then he says, and you are complete in him, that is in Jesus, who is the head of all principality and power. Do you guys know that this morning you're complete? Is that good news this morning? If you're complete, are you lacking anything? Is anything missing? That's the point that Paul's trying to make. These false teachers are saying, you're missing out. You need this. You need to have that. You need to add this. 
And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You are complete in him. Look out. You're being robbed of what you have because you're being told you don't have enough, but you have enough. You are complete in Jesus. And then he says, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It's a spiritual, supernatural cutting away by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so Jesus did this supernatural cutting away in our lives. He's made us separate and distinct, belonging to himself alone. We belong to Jesus. We're identified with him, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Is that exciting to anybody this morning? (laughs) Old man dead, you're now alive in Christ. Glorious. All your sins, forgiven, forgotten, gone forever this morning. Some good news, isn't it? Paul's reminding them they didn't do it. It it wasn't your baptism that made you right with God. It's not your circumcision that makes you right with God. It's the complete work of Jesus Christ and you putting your faith and trust in Him and Him alone. You're not lacking anything. Those things don't make you more righteous or less righteous. Righteousness is a free gift given to you when you put your faith and trust. In Jesus Christ. These things don't make you more spiritual. They don't make you less spiritual. They don't make you closer to God. They don't take you further away from God. You're as close as you can possibly get because the minute you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, where did he come? He came right inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of the hope of glory. Doesn't get any closer than that, does it? Can you believe that? Do you know you don't gross him out so he would leave? He's sticking around. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you. Even to the end of the age, I'm always with you. And so Paul's reminding them of what the Lord has done, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, the law pointing out our shortcomings, our faults, our sins. And now we are no longer under the law, but under grace. The Bible tells us. The law was our schoolmaster, our tutor to point us to Jesus Christ. And now, once we've come to know him, we're no longer under the tutor. We are under his leadership. And so it says in the next verse, the next part of the verse, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So Paul reminds us of this amazing work that Jesus did on our behalf. His, his death, burial, and resurrection has brought us into this glorious relationship with God. And then he says, in light of all that, so let no one judge you. Let no one condemn you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one judge you. Those things are all symbolic. They were pictures. Those all pointed forward to Jesus. 
but you have the reality, you have the substance in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, this, I think this is where we left off, wasn't it, last week? Somewhere around here, close. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head. Who's the head, by the way? Jesus. Jesus is the head. From whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. This is so good. Let me draw your attention real quick to verse 18. What does Paul say? So he's warned us about the philosophers. He's warned us about legalism. And he's also going to warn us about mystics too, or, or people that have had heavy, they say they've had heavy revies. They've had spiritual experiences and talking to angels and meeting with angels and all kinds of stuff like that. And, and Paul's like, listen, don't let anybody cheat you of your reward. Listen, salvation is a free gift, correct? Salvation is not a reward. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus has rewards to give, doesn't he? He has rewards to give, crowns to give. Um, One translation says, let no one as a judge declare you unworthy of a reward. And the the word here means to disqualify, to condemn, to judge as not worthy of a reward or to deprive of a reward or even rob of a prize. And so Paul is not wanting any of us to lose a reward, to be disqualified, to be derailed. He doesn't want any of us to be ripped off. You guys ever been ripped off? It's not fun. He's like, I don't want anybody to be ripped off spiritually. And he says, here's the things to watch out for. How can I avoid disqualification? How can I avoid being ripped off? Number one, what were they doing, the heretics? They were taking delight in false humility. You know what that means if you're, you have false humility? You ever see somebody that's a phony? They're like super sugary and, and acting all humble. You know what I'm talking about with that? Being pretenders. That was what the Pharisees did, didn't they? Remember, when Je- Remember Jesus said, when you fast, don't do like them, right? Don't do like the Pharisees. Because what did they do? They got all sad in their faces. So people would ask him, what's going on, man? Why are you so broken? I'm just fasting. I'm seeking, seeking the Lord in a special way. That's false humility. Jesus said, everything they do, they do to be seen by men. And so Paul's like, don't be a phony. Be the real deal. Remember, you guys remember Absalom in the Old Testament? That dude was a phony. False humility. Remember, what, remember Absalom, David's son? You guys remember that? He would sit outside the gate of the city, and then when people would come to see David and see David's leadership, he was chilling out before the people could get there, and he would come and, you guys are are so special. What's your problem? How can I help you? Oh, you know, they, they won't help you like I can. I'm here to help you. And it says, what's interesting is, it was all, it was all a con job. Because it says he turned the hearts of the people. He, he, he stole the hearts of the people to follow him. 
away from his dad, David, the rightful king. But it was all a big show. It was all a big pretend. And Paul's like, listen, don't be a phony. Be the real deal, number one. Number two, am I hearing ringing in my ears or is that something? Number two, look at they were doing what? Worshiping angels. That's, that happens today too, doesn't it? It's all about angels. And, and don't get me wrong, I think it's important that we have a balanced... Uh, a balanced approach from the scriptures of what the Bible says about angels. Angels are created beings. Hebrews chapter 1 says angels are ministering spirits who minister to those who will inherit salvation. You know who's going to inherit salvation? All of us. And sometimes the angels are working behind the scenes doing stuff in our lives. Hallelujah. Saving us with their wingtips or whatever they're doing. Or I don't know how it works. And sometimes we may even entertain angels. When you entertain a stranger and you reach out to someone or open your heart to them, it says. But in Hebrews chapter 1, the whole point is Jesus is greater than the angels. He is not, angels are not worthy of our worship. Amen? Amen. Well, well let, me, let me give you another example. Remember in Revelation. Remember tour guide angel? Taking John all around, showing him everything. That wasn't what he was called. That's just how I remember it. He was the tour guide. He was showing John all that. He took me here. I went here. I was over there. And then remember what happened? It's like Revelation 22. I think it is right around there. And all of a sudden, John's just blown away by everything he's seeing. Wow. And he falls down and worships tour guide angel. And what does the angel say? Get up, dude. I'm a servant just like... I don't know if he used his wings and get up, scooped him up. And two words, he said, worship God. Angel told him that. And so, number three, look at the third thing. They were intruding. If you're intruding, is that good or bad? You're an intruder. What do intruders do? They go somewhere they shouldn't go. They, they end up somewhere they don't belong. They're intruding into those things, notice, which they have not seen. You know what that means? They're lying. They're lying about spiritual experiences or stuff they've never seen or they've never taken part in. Can I just give us an example this morning? Another example? I'm not going to wait for an answer. I'm just going to give you one. How many books are written on heaven? I just got in a car wreck and I went to heaven. And I wrote, and they wrote a book and they went on tour and they had a speaking tour and then I saw their video on YouTube and... When the Apostle Paul went to heaven, when he came back, he said, I couldn't even talk about the things I heard. I won't even talk about those things. Listen, God has given us everything we need in his word. Everything we need to know about heaven is found right here in the word of God. All that he wants us to know, that we would long for heaven, set our mind on things above. We'll talk about that in just a minute, the glories of heaven, because of what Jesus has done for us. And what happens is, look at the next part of the verse, the, the last thing, vainly puffed up. What does it mean to be puffed up? Right? It, it's, it, you're swollen in the head, full of pride, vainly empty, puffed, being, you're empty, it's empty, empty-headed by his fleshly mind. In other words, they're boasting of their spiritual, mystical experiences, 
the things they, the things they supposedly hear from God, and you too can hear from God if you hang out, if you hang out with me a little bit more. And I'm going to teach you the path, grasshopper or whatever. You too can hear from heaven just like me. If you follow these steps, if you do this, if you do that, and these experiences, and really it's, it's pride. Listen, pride is the biggest threat to all of us, you guys. Pride is seeing myself as above others. And the fle- doesn't the flesh want to be seen, though, as special? Doesn't our flesh, our carnal, fallen nature, correct? Don't you want to be seen? I, I do. It's like I want, to be, I want to be recognized, and I want people to be nice, and... People who say, yeah, way to go, don't we? The problem is we start, our flesh starts to gravitate. We start to go fishing for praise, don't we? And that's what, again, Jesus said, again, to his disciples, to his committed followers, don't be like the Pharisees. Everything they do is to be seen by men. When they put on their outfits, they got the supersized tassels, so everybody go, whoa, look at how spiritual they are. When they, when they do their good deeds, they ring the bell and make sure everybody sees why to be seen by men. So these guys, again, they want to be seen as special, as spiritual. And Paul's saying, don't even go down that trail. It's bogus. Don't go there. In fact, the pro- their problem is right here. Look at the next verse. This is important. Not, they're not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Jesus. Jesus. What does hold fast mean? Abide, it means to cling to, stay connected, to grasp hold of. I had, Tanya and I, we've had yellow labs our whole life. And when they're little, I used to love to do this. We'd have this big, thick rope for our little, our yellow lab, and he'd bite it, and you couldn't get it away from him. You know, that's taking hold of. And you could lift him off the ground with it, and it'd still be, you know, the only way you could get it out of his mouth is if you twist, you crank that thing. And he's, you know what I'm talking about? And he still doesn't want to let go. That's a lame illustration, but that's what Paul's saying. Don't listen to that phoniness. Don't grab hold of fake spirituality. Take hold of Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Abide in Jesus. And it says the head from whom? From Jesus. All the body. Who's the body, by the way? Uh, the church, us. Do you know every one of us are, are body parts in this mystical body of Christ, right? Paul uses that analogy, that illustration for every one of us. Are, is every body part important? Yes. Big toe? Yes. Pancreas? Weird parts that you want. What is this thing even for? Uh, all parts are important, correct? For the body to function, right? Jesus is the head. We're the body parts. And notice... We're all nourished. Who's to nourish us? Jesus. He lavishly supplies for us. He's the one that satisfies. He's the one to be nourishing us. And then he knits us together by joints and ligaments. Jesus connects us uniquely in a special way. He brings us together. He unites us and he intertwines us. Our lives begin begin to grow together so gloriously. Listen, I'm closer to this family than my my own family, you guys. You're my family. As they say down south, we's kin. Some of you will get that later. It's okay. But please notice where the growth comes from. The growth doesn't come from mystical experiences. 
Although I'm not down on experiences, I love experiences. I love spiritual experiences. I love seeing the Lord do signs and wonders. I don't chase signs and wonders. That doesn't create a lasting faith. Signs and wonders. I'm not down on those things, but those things don't create a lasting faith. Where the growth comes from, where the increase comes from, as we're holding on to Jesus, as we're abiding in Jesus, God, look what it says, the increase comes from who? What does it say? Look at your Bibles. From God. God brings the growth. He causes us to flourish and to abound. He causes us to thrive under the Lord's care. Isn't that simple? Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. We don't need to strive. You know, it takes all the striving away. We just need to abide in him. And listen this morning, if you're not growing spiritually, if your growth is stunted, can I just encourage you, maybe you're not connecting with Jesus the way that he wants you to. Spending time with him. Remember what we learned earlier in this chapter? As you have therefore, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, verse 6, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. So we need to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, abiding in him. Listen, you may be connecting yourself to something else. You may be connecting yourself to programs or something you read on the internet or some book and, when, and you're not experiencing the growth that you'd hoped. The growth comes from the Lord. It comes from holding on to Jesus. It's that simple. He wants us to stay in connection with him. You have everything you need if you have Jesus. You're lacking nothing. You are complete in him. And a healthy church is connected to Jesus. Do you know that this morning? This is a healthy church. And I'm so glad. There are a lot of churches that aren't healthy because they're not connected to the head. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church, by the way. We look to him in all things. It is his church. He is building the church. It's his work by his spirit. It's to continue in the spirit. But if there's no growth in a church, guess what? I'm not talking about numbers. You can have churches that are off the Richter with numbers, tons of people. It's packed with programs. But guess what? There's no spiritual growth. Oh, they're a mile long and an inch deep. I'd rather see us as a flock that, man, we're just deep in the Lord. We're just mature. That we're not moved by every wind of doctrine. That we're not moved by the bad news that we read every single day and the junk and the weirdness going on. That you're not moved and biting your nails and freaking out. You're trusting in the Lord. And that your marriage is growing. Why? Because you're connected to Jesus. That your marriage is thriving because you're holding on and abiding in Jesus. Not by some book, not by some program. That your family is growing and thriving. Why? Because you're connected to Jesus and holding on to him. That the church, your ministry at church is growing and thriving because you're holding on to Jesus. You're looking to him in all things. Not looking to, a, again, a book or a guru or whatever, a guru. You look to the Lord. You have everything you need if you have Jesus. You're complete in him. Stay rooted. Stay grounded in Jesus. Abide in him. Well, Paul's got a question. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, Paul says, Therefore, in light of that, in light of that what? If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, 
Do you subject yourselves to regulations? What kind of regulations, Paul? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to, check this out, the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. This is so good. So Paul's got a question. Paul's got a why. Why, why are you guys doing what you're doing, he says. It begins with, therefore, in light of your dying with Christ. Did you die with Christ? The Apostle Paul said, what was it, Galatians 2? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but, but Christ in but Christ in me. Right? Our old man, the old me, was crucified with Jesus Christ. The problem is, sometimes we put the old man on a rehab program, don't we? We, we get, first of all, we bring him back to life with the paddles or the shot, right? Get him going again. And then we put him on a rehab. We start to strengthen the, we give him opportunity. My flesh, my flesh is as rotten today as the day I got saved. We don't strengthen the flesh. The strength, Paul said in Romans, he said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Jesus' assessment of our flesh, the old nature, is what? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, powerless. <laughs> no bueno. How about that? But we died. We're to reckon the old man dead. And Jesus' prescription for the flesh, for the self, is what? The only solution to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and to follow him. And so Paul reminds us here, he says, listen, therefore, if you died with Christ, and your old man was crucified with Jesus, from the basic principles of the world, the world's ideas on life, how to be saved, how to know God. Hey, you've been set free. You've also been delivered from the righteous requirements of the law. You died to that stuff, the rules and the regulations. Why are you living like this, submitting to, what does your Bible say? Submitting yourselves to what? To regulations, to man's rules, to man's statutes. Do not touch. Don't touch that or you're going to be defiled. Don't eat that. You're going to be defiled. Don't handle that. That thing's going to get defiled. Didn't Jesus deal with that too, by the way? Did Jesus deal with that, y'all? Remember, the Pharisees tripped out on Jesus. And his disciples, why are they not washing their hands? Were they concerned about personal hygiene, by the way? They couldn't get, that wasn't, that wasn't the deal at all. Because what did they do? They did this whole ceremonial ritual, washing their hands, turning the water upside down. You guess what I'm talking about? It's in the Gospel of Mark. I think it's like chapter 7. You do this ceremonial washing, you do all this, 
not to be defiled, uh, not to defile something, not to be defiled. You go through all this ceremony, and what's the problem? That water can't wash your heart, man. The heart is what your problem is. Not the food. The food doesn't defile you. That stuff doesn't cleanse you. It doesn't cleanse your heart. The food doesn't get into your heart. The problem is your heart. You need a new heart and a new start. And it's Jesus who does that. And Paul's saying, listen, you're getting involved in this. With verse 22, all these things, these regulations, these things that do not handle, do not taste, all these these rules, look what it says. They're concerning what? Things that perish with the using. Temporal things. Things that are not of eternal value. All these things are perishables. You guys know what perishables are? It's food, right, that is likely to decay or to go bad quickly. That's what he's saying here. These things are brief. These things are insignificant. What you're being involved in. You're disconnecting from the head to do this. You're dis- Jesus didn't tell you to do that, did he? Did Jesus tell you to do that? No. It's according to who? Look what it says. Who's it according to then? According to the commandments and doctrines of who? Of men. It's man-made rules. It's man-made statutes. And Paul's like, why are you letting these people put a trip on you? In light of your death to these things... Why are you living for these things? That's not your life. Jesus is your life. These things, look what it says, these temporary, perishable things, these rules and statutes indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Oh, externally? If you have an appearance, it's external. It's outward. It has an outward show of wisdom. It looks really wise, what you're doing. It looks really clever. It looks really intelligent. But if it's just an appearance, there's no substance, correct? Just an appearance. There's no reality. In other words, it's not real wisdom. Because why? It's not God's wisdom. It's man's. It's garbage. And then he says, look at this, self-imposed religion. If it's self-imposed, it's self-produced, it's self-achieved, it's self-denied, not denied, defined, It's religion. Listen, there's a difference between religion and Christianity. Do you guys know that this morning? Do you guys know that this morning? There is. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. By his efforts, by his works. In fact, the word religion in Latin, I think it is, it's religare. It means to relink. You're trying to relink yourself to God. The problem is you don't have a chain long enough. You got nothing. He's holy. We're not. Relationship is, look what God did for us. God sent his son to die on the cross for you and for me and to rise again from the dead to provide a complete forgiveness of our sins that we could come to know him personally and walk with him daily. And where that, where that walk would end, it doesn't end. We end right in heaven with him in the Father's house. Big difference. And he's saying, look at this is this is some kind of man-made religion, some trip they're laying on you. There's false, again, he mentions false humility. There's again, it's disingenuous, it's phony. They're a bunch of posers. And that's what it produces, a bunch of phonies. In fact, he also says the neglect of the body. 
They impose certain things upon their bodies, severe self-discipline, abstaining from all forms of indulgence, thinking that will make them right with God and keep them right with God. What's the problem, though? Look at the next part of the verse. Look at the, it tells us, that it answers right in the verse, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If something's of no value, is it good or bad? It's bad. No value. You know what he's saying? Those things are worthless. Against what? The indulgence. Do you know our flesh wants to indulge constantly? You guys know that? The flesh constantly craves and desires more and more and more. You give your flesh an inch, what happens? Take some. What happens? Is it, is it good? Like good results? The, the flesh, it's, it speaks of the passionate desires of our fallen nature. That self-destructive nature that we all have. And again, that's why we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. This stuff, neglect of the body, false humility, that's not how to deal with the flesh. Jesus gave us the prescription. The flesh cannot be satisfied, can it? You guys remember a dude from the Old Testament named Solomon? You guys remember Solomon? Remember the book he wrote? What was the book he wrote that I'm talking about here? Starts with E, rhymes with Ecclesiastes. You guys remember that book? The whole book is about Solomon trying to satisfy his flesh with everything under the sun. How'd that work out for him? Here's a dude, listen, so, so check it out. He's got unlimited resources, correct? He's the wealthiest man on planet Earth, and he's going to try to satisfy his flesh. And remember what he did? Maybe it's education, right? I'm going to get my PhD, my doctorate, my BVDs, whatever. Empty vanity. Oh, maybe it's in entertainment. That's going to satisfy. And what does he do? Emptiness, the dancing clown, all kinds of stuff he brings in. Maybe it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Vanity, emptiness. Maybe, maybe it's a pet, maybe getting pets. Remember, right? He's got his chewini, <laughs> not good enough, so he's got to import some apes. And peacocks, emptiness. What was the conclusion he came to? It's all vanity. Satisfaction is not found under the sun. It's found in the sun, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's where satisfaction is found, not in satisfying our flesh. And these people, rather than, than, than helping them grow in a simple love relationship with Jesus... They've moved the people into something super complicated, super difficult, complex, burdensome. There's no peace. There's no rest. It, and what does it produce? Joyless, powerless, loveless people. And who knew better 
No one knew better than the Apostle Paul, correct? He came out of that. He came out of that kind of background. Rules, regulations, statutes. I'm going to try to do everything I can to clean up the outside of the dish. The problem is the heart. The problem is our hearts. That's why Paul is like, man, i got to deal with this. Living to keep rules, living to impress men, to please men, it is stressful. It's stressful. It's exhausting trying to make people think you're good by keeping rules. It's a waste of your life. The joy gets sucked right out of you. And you become someone that is a critical, sin-sniffing finger pointer at others. Because they're not keeping your little rules or your little standards. You come down on others. You bring drama and heaviness into everyone else's life. When you do this, when you you do what Paul's mentioning here. And, And the sad part is you have a form of godliness, but you're denying the power thereof. There's no power in your life because there's no connection to the, to the source. It's all about you and keeping these things that men make up or you make up. Things that, think, that you think are bringing you closer to God or making you righteous or keeping you righteous. It's a disconnect from the head. It's a disconnect from Jesus. In fact, we know the, the spirit wars against the flesh, right? Do you guys know that this morning? Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, we learn in Galatians. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh wars against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Correct? Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians? There's a war. Christian, there's a war inside of you, isn't there? By the way, that is good news this morning. Because before we got saved, did you care at all? I didn't care. You could lie, cheat, steal, fornicate, do whatever, get drunk, whatever you wanted. Did you care? Absolutely not. But then you get saved, right? The Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in you, and now there's a battle. The flesh wars against the Spirit, correct? That's about half of you. You're driving down 290. You get cut off. What do you say to that person? Oh, praise the Lord. Sweet move, bro. I'm praying for you. Maybe you got to get to the hospital. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm getting better. I know I'm grow, growing, right? Rooted and grounded. The growth from God. You guys are laughing at what I'm talking about, right? The flesh, like the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So there's a battle going on. And so, what's the answer? To walk in the spirit, to live in the spirit. Well, how do we do that? How does that work? What does that look like practically? Let's read the next couple verses. Let's find out. Sound good? All right, let's do it. If, If then you were raised with Christ, yes, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him, where? In glory. So what do we do? We start seeking things that are on a higher plane, things that are eternal, things of lasting value. If or since you've been raised with Christ, have you been made alive in Christ? We've been made alive, haven't we? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New life. You're alive spiritually. What should we be doing? Seeking, and the Greek tense is continually, habitually, progressively as a lifestyle to seek what? Eternal things. Heavenly things. Where Jesus is. Seated at the right hand of the Father. David said in Psalm 27, God said to David, seek my face. And David said, your face I will seek. Jesus said, listen, don't be worried about what you're going to put on or put in. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all, how much is all? All these things will be added unto you. The very things the world lives for. What you're going to put in, what you're going to put on. Don't worry about those things. Your heavenly father is going to take care of you. Seek first his kingdom. Make that the priority in your life. Seeking first his righteousness. His, his righteousness means doing what's right in his sight. Where do we find that? In the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. We spend time with Jesus. Reading our Bibles and praying. And when I apply this to my own life, guess who it affects? Eh, that's right, everyone around you, beginning with your spouse, beginning with your kids, stuff starts to work, your life starts to work, you're experiencing love and joy and peace, and the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow and flow in your life because you're seeking the right thing first every day. You're seeking His kingdom, you're seeking His righteousness. And then things start to fall into place. And rather than your life be a TV dinner, you know what I'm talking about, TV dinner? You guys eat TV dinners? They still have those? <laughs> hungry man, hungry woman, what is it? <laughs> hungry. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Right? You got your, your main course. You move to the nasty veggies. The dessert that never quite gets hot enough. It's still cold in this. Right? You know, people, that's how they do their Christian walk. Here's church on Sunday. Tomorrow, the veg, I got to go to work, the veggies. Dessert, Saturday, can't wait for Saturday. Lay on my lazy boy, watch the game. You know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about? You compartmentalize your entire walk. And you, you relegate Jesus to this one spot. So rather than our lives being in everything we do, seeking eternal things, we miss out on what the Lord has for us. Our rather than a TV dinner, it should be more like a pot pie. You guys know what a pot pie is? Everything's just mixed. Just, right? You crank into that thing, you just stir it all up. Boom. Jesus right at the center. He's involved in everything. Every part of my life. And what begins to happen? You begin to start to care about eternal things. What's eternal? So what's eternal? Think about it. What's eternal around us? The Lord is eternal, correct? The Word is eternal. Who else? Guess, guess who else is? People are eternal. 
Oh, so my life now, if I'm going to seek the things that are above, I'm going to start spending time with my brothers and sisters. That's seeking things that are above, connecting with my brothers and sisters, interacting with one another, and not only that, interacting with unbelievers also. Connecting with them, helping them come to know Jesus, the one you love or claim to love. Helping them come to, to, to come to know Jesus and get saved by him. God wants to use your life. That's an eternal thing. No matter where the Lord's planted you, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, it's not an accident. God doesn't make mistakes, gang. He's got you right where he wants you. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to start seeking heavenly things, eternal things, building relationships, seeing people get built up in their faith, seeing people come to know Jesus. Lord, I want you to use my life to make to use my life to make a difference. And then he says to set your mind continually, habitually, progressively as a lifestyle to think on, to direct your mind towards what? Things above, heavenly things, eternal things, not on, what does he say? Not on things on the earth. Why does he have to say that? Why does he have to say set your mind on things above? Because what do we do with our minds? What are some of you doing right now? Is this dude going to ever end, hon? I got work to do, man. I got Costco, free samples. are going to be all gone with the... Or whatever. Our pro- the problem is our minds wander, don't they? And we can find... Listen, we can find ourselves consumed with temporal, earthly fleshly, material stuff. Yes, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Isn't there things I need and my necessities? Absolutely. Yes, there are things we need to think about here. Necessary stuff. But do you process them? Do I process them in the light of eternity? Do I, do I deal with things here as a citizen of heaven? The way that I handle business, the way that I handle my marriage, my home, the things that come my way in life? Listen, only things that are connected with heaven are going to last. Everything else is going to what? What's going to happen? It's going to burn. So if you're investing in this kingdom, the kingdom of this world, guess what? It's going to what? Boom, poof, in a pinch of ash. It's going to all be gone. So it's a choice I make every day. We have the ability to set our minds. We have the ability to seek things. And God has enabled us. To do this. And here's the deal. Setting our minds will affect our behavior. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The transformation happens. The metamorphosis happens as your mind is transformed. As your mind is renewed, rather. As you get in the Word. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about? Are you guys still with me this morning? Okay. You guys? Yeah? There's a metamorphosis. You guys know metamorphosis? Metamorphoses? Caterpillar, funky, cool butterfly, right? How does that happen? Internal change. Internal change that manifests itself externally, correct? You don't slap wings on the caterpillar, do you? Put a cape on him. Let's go, little buddy. You don't do that, do you? It's not external. That's what we're talking about here. It's an internal change. 
what we set our minds on, what we seek, things begin to change in us. Things start to fall away. Things that we struggle with, all of a sudden, wow, that has no pull on me anymore. That is stupid. I don't know why I was even doing that. Why would I waste time on this? Oh, Lord, thank you. That looks child. That was childish. What am I doing? Why am I even involved in that? Can I just encourage you this morning? Let the, let the Lord tell you what to do. Do the right things for the right reason. That's, do what he shows you to do. Give God a chance. Would you give God a chance in your life and see what he'll do? So you know what, Lord? Okay, I'm just going to do it your way. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you permission, Lord, to do what you want to do in me. Didn't we just sing something like that? I'll make room for you. Do whatever you want to do. Was that just lip service singing that? Lord, Lord, do whatever you want to do in this section. 75%. It was, all, was it all we sang? No? Something like that? It's not trying to make yourself a good person by following rules. Jesus sets us free. He fixes us. He changes us. Jesus said, he's, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We look to him. For you died. The old me is dead. He cannot be prosecuted. He cannot be convicted. He cannot be condemned. My life is now where? Hidden in Christ. I'm hidden in Jesus. With God. That's the greatest hands to be in, isn't it? In the Lord's hands. And then he finishes. Look at how he finishes. Do we have time? Yes, we do. We're not stopping. We got one more verse. Because when Christ appears, when Jesus shows up, you know he's coming. He's coming any minute like a thief in the night. Be ready. When he appears, who is our life? Is he your life? Jesus is our life. When he appears, what's going to happen to us? Then you also will appear with him. Where? In glory. Isn't that beautiful? When Jesus shows up, you're going to appear with him. Where? In Texas? The Alps? Jerusalem? That's later. In glory. Thank you. Let me just leave you with this. The words of our Lord. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much. What else can we say, Lord Jesus, but thank you. Thank you for rescuing us, for saving us, giving us a, a fresh start, a new life. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your amazing grace, Lord Jesus. There's so much to just say thank you this morning. Thank you for loving us first, for bearing with us, for working in us for speaking to us, for 